Hi, this is Pastor Craig. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of my podcast. I hope you enjoy it. You can contact us at studyhiswordministries at yahoo.com. Thanks again. Good morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here this morning. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us, your written word, our handbook, our instruction guide for life. Father, as we look at your scripture this morning, just ask that you would uh, help us to to, uh, clean our hearts and minds out of all distractions, that we could be focused on your word and we could see what it is that you would want us to glean from your word today. Father, you've heard all the prayer requests, the specific prayer requests that were brought up this morning, so we lift those prayer requests up to you to work your will in each and every situation. Father, again, we just praise you and thank you for your word. We just praise you and thank you for this time that we have together. All these things I ask in your son's name. Amen. All right, we're in Ephesians this morning again. Ephesians chapter 5. That's true. You said we're getting to some good stuff, and the good stuff's coming up. How to be a good husband. There's more, there's more, verses, in Ephes- there's more verses in Ephesians regarding how to be a good husband than there are for being a good wife. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. (laughs) Oh, man, this is going to be a fun one to edit, Scott. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Okay, so Paul is picking up on what he has just written. That's why he says, therefore. So what is it that he has just written? He's talking about being in the light and how the light, the truth, exposes that which is darkness. Verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, awake you who sleep, Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He is quoting from Isaiah, a couple places in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. Turn ahead to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So Paul here, in quoting from Isaiah, what is he talking about? He's talking about the light that has come, that would be Christ, and to rise up. This is basically an invitation to salvation. Paul is saying, Arise, be transformed from darkness. He had just been talking in the previous verses about living in darkness and the difference between darkness and light. So this is a call to salvation, to be transformed from darkness to light. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is time, high time to awake out of sleep, For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. 
Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So Paul is, you know, again, he's calling people to salvation, to live out God's will, to put away your acts and deeds of darkness and to put on the light. And what's interesting here is his wording that he uses there in Romans. He says in verse um, 13, he, he says, or in verse 12, he says, let us cast off the works of darkness... In other words, our sinful acts, our sinful deeds. He says, and let us put on the armor of light. What does armor do? Armor protects you. Armor protects your body from harmful things. So as we're saying here, put on the armor of light. Why? Because light, truth, Christ protects us from what? Protects us from sin and protects us from our death, the death of our soul for eternal damnation. So that's his wording there I find very interesting because he's saying, you know, put away your dark deeds, your evil deeds, and put on your armor, put on your protection of truth, of light. And again, he says, arise from the dead. Not talking about physical dead, but he's talking about spiritual dead. He says, you know, arise from the dead, arise from your spiritual deadness that light is here, truth is here. While you're there in Romans, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of light. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He's talking about we were dead and we were united in death with Christ. Christ died for our sins. We haven't had to die for our sins, so we're united with Christ in the likeness of his death for our sins, and we've been raised up in light, in truthness. And therefore, Paul's saying, so like that we had been united with him in death, we are united with him in the resurrection. And that will be the resurrections of our soul for eternal life. So that's the, the picture that he's painting here. And all of it is, again, it's a call by Paul for us to live a life worthy of the light, the truth that we've been given. Okay? And he goes on here in verse 15. Carrying on the same thing. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Okay? See then that you walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means basically accurately or precisely with great care. So he says, see that you walk accurately or precisely with great care, not as fools. When you see that word fool or fools in the Bible, it doesn't refer to a person of low intelligence or an idiot that we tend to, you know, we tend to use that word fool and foolish for people of low intelligence or idiocy, things like that. When you see it in the Bible, it has nothing to do with that. It has the meaning of the word fool is someone who is an unbeliever. Someone who's an unbeliever, they're living in darkness, they're living a sinful life. So that's why he says here, 
Um, see that you walk circumspectly, not as unbelievers, not as those in sin, but as wise. And that word wise there, typically when you talk about wisdom in, those, in scriptures, it's wisdom is application of the knowledge that you have. You can have knowledge, but it's, if you don't apply it, all it is is knowledge. But when you have knowledge and you apply it in your life, that is wisdom. And we see that all throughout the Proverbs. And that's kind of the whole idea of Proverbs is it's wisdom, it's instruction how to live, how to apply truth. So that's what he's saying here. He says to walk wisely, to live wisely, to live morally, to live in God's truth. Don't be like the unbelievers, be living a moral life. Um, turn to Psalm 14. Is it just me or is it hot in here? Wow, I'm like, I'm on fire. I'm so on fire, I need that glory cloud to open up and just pour down rain on me and just cool me off. Well, I just had a Pentecostal moment there. <laughs> uh, all right, Psalm 14, Psalm 14. I know it's not on the board yet. <clears throat> I was just so on fire, I just lost my place. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and they have done abominable works. There is none who does good. It's just illustrating the point of what a fool is. A fool is an unbeliever. A, a fool is a person who doesn't believe in God, has no respect for God, doesn't follow God. And that's what Paul's point here is. Don't live like those people. See that you walk. To kind of paraphrase this, this here in uh, verse 15, he's basically saying, See that you walk accurately with great care, not as the unbelievers do, but as the wise, morally wise People do. It goes on in verse 16, says, um, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In the Greek, this reference to time refers to a specific or a fixed period of time. So what, it, what would make sense here is that when Paul says redeeming the time, what specific period of time would he be talking about? He's talking about the life, your period of time of your life as a believer, okay? And he says, redeeming the time, using the time that you have because the days are evil. In other words, make use, make the best use, the most use of the time that you have to do the will of God in this evil world. That's what Paul's saying here, redeeming the time, using the time because the days are evil. We have a fixed opportunity of time, and none of us knows how long that time is. But it's essential that whatever time we have in this evil world, in these evil days, that we make the most of it for God. And that's what he's calling us to do here. Um, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. But Paul's just saying there. Um, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. We have a fixed period of time um, to do good, and, and our call is to do good to all. He says, especially to those in the house of faith, that's fellow believers, but we are to do good to all. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Again, he's just, Peter's just instructing, you know, how to conduct yourself. And he makes that point about during the time that you're here. And it's, it points out the urgency to do God's will during that time that we're here. How many times have we seen where, you know, a young person is tragically killed? Um, How often have we seen even a middle-aged person that dies suddenly or whatever, and it's always, they died before their time. That's the thing. We don't know what our time is. We don't know how much time we have here. So we must, we must make opportunity of all the time that we have and take hold of all those opportunities. Um, again, and that's what Paul say, talking about redeeming the time, making the best use of your time. Um, verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. And we talked two weeks ago, I spent, um, we had an entire teaching on this verse 17 about understanding what the will of the Lord is and just a fast recap that we looked at understanding what the word what the will of the Lord is for your life the will of the Lord for your life is that you be saved the will of the Lord for your life is that you serve the will of the Lord for your life is that you live a holy life the will of the Lord for your life is that you're Uh, rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks constantly. The will of the Lord for your life is that you're doing good works, and the will of the Lord for your life is that you suffer for his name. Like I said, we talked about that two weeks ago, so I'm not going to go back over all of that. But, but, But again, Paul's just admonishing us, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Um, So kind of in a nutshell here, what he's saying is um, salvation is here. The time of salvation is here. We are to arise out of our darkness. We are to put the darkness behind us. We are to walk in the light. And we're to use our time that we have to live by the Lord's will. And we're to do it now. Verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And I want to talk about this for a minute so that we know that we have a good understanding of what he's talking about here. The first half of what he says is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. There are no less than 11 verses warning against drunkenness and we're not going to look at all of these but I'm going to give them to you and I would hope that you would write them down and I would hope that at some point in time this week that you would look these up because I want to talk about this subject for a minute but just a quick list of verses warning against drunkenness Deuteronomy 21 20 
Proverbs 20, verse 1, 23, verse 20, 23, verse 31, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, and verse 22, Luke 21, verse 34, Romans 13, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 5.11 and 6.10 and Galatians 5.21. All right. Much has been said in the church today about alcohol. As I said, here are no less than 11 verses warning against drunkenness. One of the debates in the church today is whether or not a Christian should consume alcohol at all. Much has been said about the fact that, well, back in the biblical times, they all drank wine because, you know, it was hard to have purified water, so that was what they drank. Much has been said about, well, yeah, but the wine that they drank wasn't fermented, so there wasn't a problem with it. Well, I, I just have a problem with that in that if there's 11 verses or more warning against drunkenness, then they must have had fermented wine. The whole point about this is, I think it's very clear from Scripture that, A, Paul writes about the liberties and the freedoms that we have as a Christian. Paul also talks about how even though we have the liberty and freedom to do things, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good or it's beneficial. The decision on whether or not to drink, I believe, falls in that category of a liberty we have as a Christian, whether it's, and it's up to us to determine whether it's proper, uh, whether it's beneficial, whether it's good. But I think Scripture is very clear about not being drunk. And the reason being, when you're under the influence of alcohol, you're not in control of yourself. You're not in control of your thoughts and you're not in control of your actions. And that is the reason why I believe there are so many verses that deal with it. So when Paul says here, therefore, or, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, he's saying here, don't be drunk with wine because you're not in control of yourself. But be controlled by the Spirit. Your life should be controlled by the Spirit. And when he's talking about being filled with the Spirit, it's not that you do anything in your Christian walk to become more full of the Spirit. There's not a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is very clear that at the moment that you are saved, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we know from Scripture that we are, as a believer, we are complete in Christ. We're not half full of the Spirit. We're not partially full of the Spirit. We're not striving to become full of the Spirit. We are complete in Christ. We're told that we have all spiritual blessings in Christ. So at the moment that we're indwelled with the, with the Spirit, we are full of all of the Spirit that we're going to get. Paul's point is be controlled by, that that's what's driving your actions, that's what's driving your actions, is the Holy Spirit. Understand the context of this letter that he's writing to the church at Ephesus. 
Ephesus was a city that was a headquarters for pagan religions. They had the statues there. There was a lot of um, things going on in Ephesus with all those pagan religions. There was, you know, temple sects and there were orgies involving drunkenness. A lot of the pagans believed that under the influence of alcohol, they would be in communion with or in or with one in these various deities that they were worshiping. So the idea was to be involved in these orgies, and that brought you closer to these spirits that they were worshiping. So that's kind of the context here, and you know, Paul's saying, put all that stuff aside. You know, that, that that's that's not how you become, you know, close with God, is stay away from that stuff and be filled be controlled so that your life is being run by the Holy Spirit and not being controlled by other things. People have all different kinds of ideas on what different things mean. You know, people have different ideas on what it means to be drunk in the Holy Spirit. People have different ideas what it means to be speaking in tongues. People have different ideas what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. That's why you as a believer... That's why you as a believer, you have to study the scriptures to know that what I'm telling you is true, to know that what other Christians are telling you is true. That is our, that is the main reason why we have so many differences in our churches today is because people aren't studying their scripture. That's our responsibility as believers to study scripture. That was part of the reason why I said there's, you know, no less than 11 verses dealing with drunkenness and we're not going to go through them, but I want you to write them down. Because as believers, we need to study our scripture and see what's going on in the church today, whether it's true and whether it's accurate. Um, You know, it's more than just reading our Bibles. You know, just reading your Bibles isn't enough. That's why I'm not, see, now you got me up on my soapbox. That's why I'm not a big fan of, you know, read your Bible in one year plan. You know, you know, read three chapters in the New Testament or the Old Testament, one chapter, New Testament every day, and you can go through your Bible in one year. That becomes a chore in reading. The benefit comes in your study. I'd rather have somebody take 10 years to read the entire way through their Bible because they're studying it verse by verse than to just read through it in one year. And there's not a problem if you read through your Bible in one year, but the whole idea is, are you reading it or are you studying it? And that's what you need to do is you need to study it. We need to study it so that we understand what it means to be filled by the Spirit. We need to study it so that we understand what it means to be drunk in the Spirit. We need to study it to understand what were the sign gifts that the apostles had. What does it mean to be speaking in tongues? You know, and that's, that's our obligation as individuals is to study our scriptures so that we have an understanding ourselves. So that if somebody like me gets up here and tries to teach you something that's not biblically true, that you have the discernment to determine that. We can't believe everything that we're told. And it's tragic that most people in churches today, the only time their Bible is open is that hour that they're in church. And it doesn't get open the rest of the week. How do they know what's, what they're being taught is true or not? The only way you know what it, you're being taught is true is that you open Scripture, you study Scripture, you use the cross-references, you, you 
Make sure that you understand the proper context of what those verses are so that you have an understanding. And why do you want to have an understanding? You want to have an understanding so that you can apply it to your life so that you can live the kind of life that God intends for you. Because God has a plan for us. God has a life for us. He wants us to live. And so the only way that I know that I can live a fulfilling life for both God and myself is that I understand the Scripture and what it is that God has planned for me. You know, what God has planned for the body of Christ today is not what God had planned for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament time. Let me back up. God's plan for our lives are the same in His desire for us as it was for the nation of Israel, but how that gets worked out in our life is different. God had a set of laws for them that he wanted them to follow so they could have a life relationship with him. God has the plan of grace for us today so that under his grace we can have a kind of life that he desires for us. Two different programs. And actually, you know, you can go back even further because... Before the Mosaic laws, in the, days of, in the days of Noah, in the days of Adam, he had plans for how he wanted man to live his life, and they didn't have laws, the Mosaic laws back then. So at different times throughout history, God has had different programs for man. His desire for us has always been the same. It's how it is achieved that's different. So by studying Scripture, we understand what God's desire for our life should look like under God's program of grace, because that's what we're under. We're under God's program of grace. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There's no male. There's no female. We're all the same in Christ. Well, what does that look like? Well, we don't know what that looks like until we study our Scripture. That's why we study Scripture, so that we understand what the program is for us. Scott, would you close us in prayer, please? Thanks again for listening. Please make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you will not miss a single episode of our podcast. Have a great day.